The message that I want to share with you today as we get back and we begin continuing in the Gospel of Mark is what I would consider today to be a warning. It is a powerful message. It is very interesting that uh, this casting out of these evil spirits from this man is given so much time in the Gospel of Mark. There's so much ink here. Uh, it's a, it's a, it is really, it's told to us in a rather graphic uh, detail. And, and it's one of the longer narratives that you actually find in the Gospel of Mark. And, and surely the narrative has at the center of it uh, the stunning power uh, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, over the power of evil. But there's more to it than that. You see, there's a warning that's wrapped up in Matthew chapter, or Matthew, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through time, through 20. I can't speak very well today. But there is a warning to us here that we see in this man, and as we see in the evil of evil. And we can see in this warning, when evil takes over, what evil causes and what evil does for all of us. And if we're not careful at times, we get caught in a mindset where we actually believe that evil isn't as evil as it really is. There are times when we don't think gossip is as evil as it is. There are times when we don't see lust as being as evil as it truly is. There are times when greed doesn't seem so evil to us. There are times when lying doesn't seem so evil to us. And we all know that we live in a culture where bad just isn't bad anymore. Amen? It's just not. In fact, we actually live in a culture that is so bold at times to call wrong right and right wrong. Can I get an amen to that? In fact, you could argue in Western culture that the highest moral standard is not a standard of moral right and moral wrong. The highest moral standard is actually a standard of tolerance and acceptance. Now, don't get me wrong today. I believe that the church ought to be the source of unconditional love and the source of loving acceptance to those who are lost, to all who breathe. Or all who breathe. 
But we have gotten caught up in a world of tolerance and acceptance where bad seems good and good is conceived as bad. Listen, folks, you must never call anything wrong and you must always tolerate whatever the person next to you chooses to do. Not. You guys thought I was serious for a second there, didn't you? And so God, knowing our hearts and knowing the fallenness of the world in which we live, blesses us with this kind of narrative that we're going to look at today so that we can be warned and we can remember. You see, what this event that we're looking at today, Corey uh, shared with you a couple weeks ago about the storm, and what this, this event is, is it's a continuation of that previous story. Uh, you remember when Jesus had gotten in a boat and asked his disciples to take him across the Sea of Galilee for some rest? You guys remember that? Say yes. Okay. If, unless you don't, don't lie. Okay? Uh, okay. We know Jesus was tired. He fell asleep in the middle of the violent storm, and I'm not going to rehash that whole thing. But when he gets to the other side, in a region that was mixed ethic, ethnically, uh, a lot of Gentiles uh, in the area, Jesus doesn't actually get rest. It's sort of the, the story of his life, okay? Every time he tries to get away to get some rest, there's people, okay? And so as he gets off the boat, he's immediately greeted by this man with an evil spirit. And this is where we're going to begin this elaborate tale today, this elaborate uh, story of this man, all right? So in verse 1, it says that when they, go ahead and put it up on the screen, when they, uh, across, when they, went, when they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, okay? Go ahead. As soon as they got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tomb and met him. Go ahead. And he lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with chains, okay? Because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he knelt down before him. And he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Now, there are three things in the beginning of this passage, and then one later on, the really, uh, on that really that do jump off the page when you see what's happening and what's taking place in the heart of this man, okay? Uh, here's the first thing that I want you to hear first. Is this man is literally, when we read this passage of Scripture, this man is literally unable to restrain himself, all right? 
Sadly, in these days, uh, chains uh, were the psychiatric hospital, okay? In those days back then, if, if you had problems, you got put in chains, okay? And, and when someone was crazy or they were out of control, uh, he was driven outside of the town. He was chained uh, so that he wouldn't hurt himself and so he wouldn't hurt others. And yet this man, it tells us in this passage of Scripture, he had so much such supernatural power that he broke all the chains that were put on him, all right? And there is in this inability of this man to restrain the first lesson about evil. You see, I want you to hear this this morning. It is impossible. It is absolutely impossible to restrain, to subdue, to conquer evil by external means. Do you think that Jesus is telling us this because it just happens to be? He's wanting us to realize that external means, evil cannot be conquered that way. You don't solve the problem of evil by some kind of external restraint. You can't ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. Did you hear that? And there is a tendency to think that somehow, some way, we as human beings, we can hold evil. We can chain evil. We can hold it down apart from the intervention of God. And I want you to know something today. It's impossible. That just cannot happen. And you see that very powerfully in this passage of Scripture today. Now, I want you to hear this. You and I have zip nada ability to restrain evil. Not one. And conquering evil starts by recognizing your utter helplessness to restrain it yourself. This man was helpless, and the external things did nothing to solve the problem. So we need to grab a hold of that first today. The second thing that I want to talk to you about, in verse 5 it says, Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. You see, in the physical picture of this man, we see what evil does. Evil in its very nature is destructive. It's sin. And sin is what? self-destructive hear this sin always is self-destructive evil is always destructive there is no such thing as constructive evil you ever heard the phrase necessary evil anybody it's a false statement there is no such thing as necessary evil. There is no such thing as evil that's going in the right direction. There is no such evil, no such thing as evil that has wisdom. There is no such thing uh, as evil that is building something that you're going to look back later and say, oh, this was a good thing. And if you're giving yourself to evil, whether you realize it or not, you are on a sure path to destruction. 
That's what evil does. Oh, by the way, the title of my sermon today is Evil. Did you know that? You see, the problem is it's not always as apparent as we see in this passage of Scripture. And that's why we're given this powerful picture. That's why we have this passage of Scripture. This is not just a, hey, how do we, you know, how do we beef up Mark a little bit? So I know what, let's throw 20 verses in here about some nutbag over on the, on the island that uh, Jesus, you know, zapped and he was okay, okay? And that'll just fill in some space. Jesus, you know, it almost didn't make the cut, you know? No, this is here for a reason. This passage is very specific, and it's amazing to me that as I read through this passage, and we all understand the Scripture, Scripture uh, is intergenerational, right? Okay? It's, 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 we understand that Scripture is good for all time, right? Okay? We understand Scripture is not something that was just good back then, but it's good for us now, right? We believe that? Amen? Amazingly, though, how important this passage of Scripture, I believe, is to our, to our current culture and our current day and age. Because it almost feels to me like the world that we live in wants to get rid of the understanding and the definition of evil. You see, the problem, it isn't always as apparent as it is in this passage of Scripture, and that's why we're given this picture. We're given this image of this man so we would see when evil takes over what it actually produces. And can I just tell you something? It's all around us, everywhere. And some of the things that I might say, you're going to say, oh, come on, Pastor, you're stretching a little bit, all right? When I'm overeating and I'm trying to numb my feelings, when I'm in that adulterous action, not adulterous, okay, which makes food the substitute of who I really worship. It doesn't really seem all that evil, does it? Huh? It doesn't, does it? That's a little bit of a stretch, isn't it? When I'm on the internet, or you're on the internet, and there's a beautiful woman, I'm talking to you guys for a second, there's a beautiful woman in front of you, and you're taking in that beauty and you're feeling the buzz doesn't seem so evil does it because it's pleasurable when you've fudged on your taxes oh now he's going the wrong direction <laughs> and you've acquired a little extra money to put in your pocket the extra money in your pocket doesn't seem so evil because, well, let's just be honest, you've already spent it 12 ways. And the fun of pre-spending that money makes you miss the fact of how evil it is. 
when you've talked slander against another person, perhaps dirtying or destroying their reputation. It doesn't seem so evil. That person's not standing there right in front of you, and you're feeling the buzz of passing the story to somebody else. And I could go on and I could go on and I could go on. We ought to be afraid. We have still within us a perverse tendency at moments, if we're not careful, to look at evil and not see evil. Man, I pray God help us. And so we need a warning. And that's what we have here in this passage. We need the video in front of us. This is what it looks like when evil takes over. And so let's move on in this passage, and I'm going to try to get you out of here by 1.30 or 2 o'clock. So then the passage, come on, everybody laugh a little bit. I know this is such a deep, this is like a heavy, this is like a heavy sermon, so you've got you to throw those breaks in there, you know? And so you move on toward the, in this passage towards this man's approach of God under the influence of, of these evil spirits. And so in verse 6 it says, When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted out at the top of his voice, what do you want with me? When I was like, I listened to the sermons a lot on, on like, uh, uh, on like uh, U version and other things. And, and this week I was listening to this passage over and over again. And I was listening to on some of the drama ones. And I was going to read it like them, but I just can't do it. When they would like have Legion speaking, they they'd use this really like. <sighs> I can't, you know. Uh, but but he says he says he says, what do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Now you have to understand, there is nothing in that little piece of this man's approach to Christ that it remotely pictures worship. This man is not worshiping Jesus in any way, shape, or form. This is not worship. This is not any way, shape, or form, any kind of worship. This is our third observation, and that is this, that evil is always against God. It is always at war with God. In fact, evil has at its goal to conquer God. And so the man comes, and he falls down before Christ, and he says, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Now I want you to think about that for a second. Just think, if I walked up to you and I said to you, What have you to do with me? Would you feel loved? If I walked up to you right now, and I just came up, and I just said, Andrew! What do you want with me? Would you be like, oh, he wants a hug? <laughs> no? No. Do you think this? Do you think this man was trying to endear to Jesus? Do you think he was like trying to get close to him? Okay, you know, would you feel respected? Would you say, wow, if I said that to you, would you be like, oh, Steve likes me? 
Of course you wouldn't. This is an attack. This is an attack that's taking place here. This is a defense. This is rebellion. This is not worship, although there is an honorific title that is used there. He says, Most High God. Even more outrageous is he says, In God's name, do not torture me. Now, in some translations, it says, I adjure you, or adjure, I don't know how to pronounce it, A-D-J-U-R-E. I don't know why we can't get, like, better translation, because how many of you, how many of you walk around and go, I adjure you? I want you to do this this week. Whenever you need your kids to do something, I want you to say this. I adjure you to go clean your room. You know what that means? I charge you. I command you. Okay? I command you, I adjure you. We're not going to use it. No, never mind. Okay. I want you to get what's happening here, okay? If this is actually an honorific title, Son of the Most High God, if this is the Lord of Lords, the Sovereign, the Creator, the Messiah, God Himself, you don't command Him, all right? It's an outrageous act of disrespect. That's what the demons are doing here. Before you do anything for me, I want to tell you what I'd like to tell what I'd like for you to do. And so here's what we need to remember. Evil is absolutely unrestrainable by any kind of external means. Evil is always going to be destructive and it never ever is constructive and evil is always against God the goal of evil is to defeat everything that is righteous can you say amen to that today so now let's get on with this verse 8 through 13 says this for Jesus had said to him come out of this man you impure spirit and then Jesus asked him what is your name And he said, my name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11 says, a large herd of pigs were feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission, and the impure spirits came out And they went into the pigs, the herd of about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake, and they were drowned. I'm going to tell you right now, if this at this moment is a contest between evil and the righteous one, there is no contest. I mean, this is like a three-second KO. You know, I mean, if this was boxing match right now, I mean, you'd be asking for your money back right now. You'd be like, what? I mean, because the Lord has power over evil. Amen. I want you to listen to what I'm about to say. If your battle with evil in your battle with evil. The who you are and what has been done for you must come before here's what to do. Do you understand that? 
Let me say that again. In your battle with evil, the who you are and what has been done for you by Jesus Christ must come before here's what to do. You see, oftentimes we try to do things to fix it. And the most important thing that we have in dealing with evil in our lives is Jesus Christ. Without him, there is nothing that we can defeat. You must first affirm the work of Christ and your identity as his child. His warfare for you, his battle on your behalf, his conquering of evil is because he wants to be in relationship with you. That is what gives you the courage to fight evil because your strength over evil is found not in your ability, not in your power. It is found in his cross and his grace because you don't have any yourself. It is because of him. And so what we have in this moment is a demonstration of the power of Christ over evil that is connected by two events. The first event is his temptation where he clearly demonstrated his power over the evil one. And remember, he said, I've gone into the strong man's house. I've bound him up so I can take whatever I want. He's taking this moment. Jesus is taking this moment, all right? And then it looks to the cross, all right? Because on the cross, Jesus Christ is not temporarily defeated and bailed out by the resurrection. I hate that theology, and I hear people preach that theology all the time. It's a false, flawed, weak theology. Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, he made a public spectacle over the enemy, triumphing over him by the cross. The cross was a defeat of evil. Man, say amen to that today. Jesus didn't die on the cross, a defeated, defeated Messiah, and then God came down and graciously got him out three days later. Jesus went to the cross victorious. He went to the cross to pay the price for you and I. He went to the cross to defeat the evil of this world. He died on that cross, and three days later when he walked out victorious, the evil was defeated, and we can live in that victory today. Man, I sound like my grandfather. Amen? Wow. And so this moment looks back to the temptation and it looks forward to the cross. And so here's the motto. You and I, listen, we should fear evil. There's no doubt in that. We should fear evil. But hear what I'm about to say. We should fear Jesus more. Amen? The enemy does not have any power on, uh, 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 except for what we give to him. 
And because you are awe of his power, because of our awe of his power, our awe of his righteousness, our celebration of his sacrifice, you and I, we can stand against evil with hope and courage, and we will not let evil do its nasty work because we are children of the conqueror, the king, Jesus Christ, the lamb, the one who has been slain for us, the one who is victorious, the one who walked out of the grave three days later, the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is fighting our battles for us. Amen? How am I doing? Okay, good. There's a couple final things that I think that jump out at this. Let me see how much more I got to go here. First of all, let me tell you this. These evil spirits are actually coming to Christ and they're asking permission. I want you to notice that. Did you notice that? You see, your Lord is sovereign over everything, even this evil. And why is that important to believe, folks? Because his promises can only be guaranteed in the situations over which he rules. And if he doesn't rule it all then there are places where he doesn't have rule and we don't have any hope. And that just isn't true. Amen? There's a second thing that you need to see again, what evil does. You see, what evil does is it creates chaos. It creates destruction. It creates death. And that's what you see as 2,000 pigs commit mass swine suicide. <laughs> now I want you to notice what it says here. Those tending the pigs ran off. All right? 2,000 pigs, they took off. All right? I would imagine these guys were scared for their jobs. Maybe even their lives. I mean, they were on the watch. Imagine going back to the townspeople, particularly the owners of the pigs, and telling the story. Think about that for a second. Oh, we lost the pigs. What happened to them? They drowned. How did that happen? Well... So there was this, like, there's this Jesus dude. And there was, like, this man out of his mind. And he, like, had, like, all these demons in him. And this Jesus guy, he, like, he cast all of these unclean spirits. It was in this guy. Uh, and, and they just happened to land in the pigs. <laughs> and, and the pigs... They ran off the edge. They couldn't fly, and they drowned. <laughs> if you were their boss, what would you be saying right now? <laughs> oh, yeah, that happens all the time. <laughs> we'll go get some more. You're fired. That's probably what you'd be saying. I mean, and so the townspeople, they come out to see the scene. I'm trying to get through the rest of this passage, by the way. They come out to see the scene because it's hard to imagine what's actually taking place. So you're telling me the pigs, they went... 
I don't know. We got to go see this for ourselves. And so what they see is they see Jesus. This is the greatest part. They see Jesus and this formerly, formerly demon-possessed man sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Now I want to add another thing to this. Look at the evil that is so powerful in this passage. Evil cannot be restrained by external forces. Evil is always destructive, never constructive. Evil is against God. And here's the thing. Evil will rob you of your humanity, not just your spirituality, not just that noticeable God consciousness, but of your very humanity. And the Bible tells us about people who are without natural affection. And think of all the horrific stuff that we see around us today. And tell me, it's not evil. All the time, we see and we hear about how evil destroys the restraints of humanity, and in destroying those restraints, removes all the natural stop mechanisms and all the natural tendencies of love and goodness that would, uh, would ever be in a human being. You see, the culmination of that before the flood when it says in Genesis 6-4 that every thought of people was always evil continually. And now you see this man because he has encountered the rescuing power and grace of the Messiah, he is restored to his full mind. He's gotten his humanity back. It's a gift of grace. He's just not the same man. In fact, he is so restored, restored that he can't think of anything but wanting to follow Jesus. He says, let me go with you. Let me be a part of these people. Oh, please, Jesus, don't leave me. And Jesus says to him, I have a better commission for you. Tell your story. Go everywhere and tell the story of what's been done to you. Tell the story of grace. Tell the story of being rescued. Tell the story of deliverance from evil. Tell the story. Now you see, I've left out the most important part of this vignette, and that's verse 17. And they, the townspeople, the owners of the herd, they begged Jesus to depart from their region. Please leave, is what they said. Now, why, why is that so important for us to talk about for a second? Why? Let me just tell you something, and let me just tell you about our culture today. Grace was and it is bad for economy. Deliverance is bad for business. Perhaps they're not alone in that. Perhaps it's not just then, but now. Wouldn't we rather have our little moments of evil than rescuing grace? 
Perhaps we would say in our own subtle way, please leave, because right now, this is making me happy. I would ask you this morning, is there a place in your life where rescuing grace is in the way of what you call happiness? You see, sadly, in the face of the horror of evil and in the face of the glorious grace power of the Messiah, as we see in this passage of Scripture, we see in our world today, people are still saying, please leave. Did you get that this morning? You see, I would argue that we need grace even to desire grace in our moments of need of grace. As the team comes up to lead us in a closing song, I want to say this to you. Evil is all around us, folks. And it's going to be here until our Lord and Savior returns. And I want you to also know this, that evil is going to take all kinds of shapes and all kinds of forms, and it's going to take shapes and forms of things that you wouldn't even begin to perceive as being evil. And you are continuing, I am continuing, and going to continue to live and see in this world evil being accepted tolerated, and even perceived as being good. But make no mistake, evil should make us afraid. But it shouldn't make us weak, it shouldn't make us timid, and it shouldn't paralyze us. Because this morning, as we sit here, we know without a shadow of a doubt that because Jesus marched up that hill, because he allowed himself to be placed on a cross in order to be mocked, in order to be beaten, He defeated the power of evil. He defeated the enemy. And Jesus on that cross conquered the enemy once and for all. Your hope, my hope, is not found in our activity. Our hope is found in our identity as a child of this conquering king. And so this morning, my question to you, before I close this in prayer, is do you know the conqueror? Do you know him? Have you confessed your need? 
do you confess again and again and again and run to the one who says, get out and evil must obey. This morning, you live in a world surrounded by evil, but because of Jesus Christ, each one of us can experience victory over evil. Amen? Let's all stand. This morning, I just want to let you know there's communion set up on both sides. We also have altars up here. The altars are always open. If you want to come and pray, if you want someone to come and pray with you, the only thing I'd ask is just slip your hand up when you come up here, and that kind of gives us uh, the code that you want to pray. If you want to come up and pray by yourself, just come up here and just quietly pray. But let the Lord speak to you today and respond to what he has said to you. Not my words, but what he has spoken to you. Amen? God, we love you so much. I thank you for this wonderful day. I thank you for the blessing of being able to serve you and to be a part of what you're doing. And Lord, I just ask that you'd speak to our hearts and mind. In your name I pray, amen.